The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Point out the colors of you. I see them too. And boy, I like them. I like them. I like them. We way too fly to partake in all this hate. We out here vibing. We vibing. We vibing. Alexa, play Ariana Grande. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the latest Windy City Gridiron Radio. This is Robert Sublinski with you as always, host of WCG Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at WCG or at WC Gridiron. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Sublinski. And today, following the Bears' heartbreaking loss to the Packers on Sunday, we're going to start previewing their next game, their home opener for the 2018 season against the Seattle Seahawks. To help preview said matchup i've brought on the field goals jackson bevins who you can follow on twitter at jackson bevins at and that's at j-a-c-s-o-n-b-e-v-e-n-s and you'll see his his screen name the disre- the disrespect has been noted jackson what's up man hey thanks for having me on robert i appreciate it man uh Let's jump right into it. I, I noted to you that I wanted to that we should talk about the offense. That's probably going to be the key matchup in this game. How the Seahawks plan to block Khalil Mack after going against Bob Miller in the Broncos defense. And it didn't really go entirely well, just looking at the box score itself. Um, six sacks, three for Miller alone, eight tackles for loss, 11 quarterback picks. Jackson, what happened? Yeah, well, Von Miller happened. I mean, you know, I I, I think Seattle um, decided they didn't want to sacrifice an offensive weapon every play of the game by keeping someone in to uh, help Jermaine Effetti with Von Miller. And the result was, um, they, you know, they were counting on Russell Wilson and his borderline unparalleled escapability to kind of help neutralize that a little bit. And, and there were some plays where that really worked and, and it really opened up with, um, you know, rookie tight end, Will Disley getting over a hundred yards, a uh, number of successful pass plays to running backs. Those are players that would normally stay in to help. Um, if you're going to chip block on a guy like Miller uh, and, and I think especially once Baldwin left with a knee injury, they were so devoid of weapons that they couldn't afford to sacrifice 
any others. And, and it was just sort of, uh, which poison do you want to drink? And, and there were, you know, Von Miller got three sacks as a result. He had Jermaine Fetty and no shot against him. And Jermaine Fetty's going to have no shot against Khalil Mack either. So it'll be really interesting with Baldwin out this week. They do decide to try and keep a tight end in to help block or, you know, if they double uh, on the edge and allow some pressure up the middle and let uh, Russ deal with it that way. But, uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be ugly. I think you guys are going to get four or five sacks. On the other side, you keep talking about Jermaine Effetti. How did Dwayne Brown hold up? Uh, probably someone else more matched up more often against Bradley Chubb. I don't anticipate that Khalil Mack will be going often against him with the Bears, and we exploit that matchup. But there's obviously also Leonard Floyd and Keen Hicks to deal with on the other side. Yeah, Dwayne Brown is great. Um, you know, I think that he is a top 10 left tackle in the league and is definitely the anchor of that line. Uh, there's no question that Seattle has played better since acquiring him on the offensive line than they did uh, before. And the thing is, it's like you've got kind of a stalwart on the left side and an unknown quantity at best that's optimistic on the right side. If you've got an elite pass rusher, why waste him against Dwayne Brown? You know, I, I imagine that uh, we'll see Mac coming off the right side of the offense a lot more often. Just like he's doing against Green Bay. And, I mean, <laughs> you know, Dwayne Brown is definitely not anyone we're worried about over here. It's everybody else. I saw that – so Rashad Penny was the Seahawks – one of the Seahawks' top draft picks – this year, and I saw that Chris Carson actually got more time and more touches than him against the Broncos. What's the story there? Um, and is that is that going to be something that Seattle uses to try to mitigate the Bears' pass rush? Yeah, I mean, the story there is pretty succinct. Chris Carson's the better running back right now. Um, you know, Rashad Penny has some pretty remarkable upside. He was definitely a surprise first-round pick wasn't really on a lot of our radars, um, but we've, we've gotten pretty used to that with John Schneider and Pete Carroll picking guys. And, you know, we're talking about a running back who led the NF or led college football in yards after contact, led college football in yards rushing, had, I think, one of the five or six highest uh, rushing totals in the history of college football. He was second only to Saquon Barkley in missed tackles forced. Uh, last year at San Diego State. So, you know, the, the potential is definitely there. But Chris Carson is an undrafted running back who sort of worked his way into the starter's role last year uh, before he hurt his leg and missed the rest of the season. But um, over the last two seasons, even in limited work, there's you can just see the way that he moves is, is different and better than any other running backs on the roster. It's more powerful. Uh, you know, he averaged over seven yards a carry against Denver last year, added another – uh, 30 yards or so through the air and had a 60-yarder called back on a block that had nothing to do with the, a hold that was on a block that had nothing to do with the play. So, I mean, he very easily could have had, you know, 150 yards in that game. And and Seattle would have had more points if, if that didn't get called back. You know, that turned uh, first and 10 in field goal range into first and 20 on their own 15. So, um, you know, Chris, Chris Carson is just – he looks like a really, really effective running back. And Pete Carroll has been pretty open over the last two days saying that he's going to get the bulk of the work against you guys. I know he's not exactly lighting it up, but I have to ask the question. Um, 
is there almost sometimes regret of not having still not having Marshawn Lynch still in there, especially seeing him sometimes make those original flash plays like he did against the Rams on Monday night? Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, you're talking about a Hall of Fame running back. Um, you're talking about a guy that defensive players speak about reverentially. Um, that's not – you can't just replace that. Now, when Marshawn first left, the Seahawks had a guy named Thomas Rawls, who's another undrafted guy, or maybe a seventh-round pick. Anyway, kind of an afterthought. And he, in his first five games, averaged something like 140 yards – uh, per game from the ground, had two 200-yard rushing games, which is more than Marshawn Lynch has ever had in his career in a game. And it looked like Seattle was going to be set. Then he broke his ankle and just has not been the same since. And it's just been a bunch of Eddie Lacy and Mike Davis and C.J. Proceis and, and a bunch of guys behind a bad line that can't make it work. And so, yeah, you know, it'd be great to have Marshawn in those situations. But I think the time had come for them to move on. Marshawn and Pete Carroll reportedly weren't talking to each other. Uh, it sounds like there was a lot of division uh, being sown within that locker room about the decision to pass up on that final play in the Super Bowl instead of give it to Marshawn again. And, and I think it was just time to move on. Also, Marshawn averaged like three yards per carry in his last year with Seattle. So, yeah, do we miss him? Would it be great to have Pete Marshawn? Absolutely. The other thing is, when Seattle's leading the NFL in rushing yards every year, 2014, they were doing it when the league was basically not allowing defenders to hit the quarterback on read option. And that's why you had Russell Wilson rushing for 7 800 yards a year, is because they run that read option. Bone blocking was still allowed. And you had defense. So. You know, you have this two-headed rushing monster, the most gifted rushing quarterback, and maybe the most gifted running back. Uh, and you didn't know who was going to have the ball, but you were only allowed to hit one of them. And they just changed the rules, which means if the quarterback fakes a handoff, he's still free game. And, you know, Seattle's not interested in having their franchise quarterback get hit 20 times a game. So uh, they haven't really figured out how to run that's happened. But yeah, would Marshawn Lynch help? Yes. Would it make them demonstrably better right now? You know, them not having an interest um, in Wilson getting hit 20 times a game because of the the, the option rules. Um, I imagine that's why the offense has transitioned so much to where he's producing. What was the number last year? Like 60 or 70% of the Seahawks offense? I remember some kind of crazy figure. I'm, I'm I'm sure you have, even on the top of your head, like where he's producing most of the yards rushing, rushing and passing. Um, is is that why the transition happened, or is it just that the Seahawks play, playmakers got better, or um, or a combination of everything? Yeah, I think I think the rule change is probably one of the biggest catalysts. And I mean, you talk about Russ's. Uh, huge share of the offense last year. He actually accounted for 87%. Oh, it was 87%. I was underselling it. Okay, okay. Go on. Which, which was an NFL record. He scored 38 of the, or was responsible for 38 of their 39 offensive touchdowns. It was also an NFL record. And, and honestly, that had everything to do with the fact that the line couldn't block anybody. And so there was no rushing game. I think Mike Davis was their leading rusher among running backs last year with 250 yards. So you're talking about 
you know, what's that, 16 yards a game. And and so the, the burden that was placed on Russell offensively last year was just unbelievable. And he balled out. I mean, if the Seahawks don't miss three end-of-game field goals last year and they go 11-5 and five or 12-4 and four and win the division, I think Russell Wilson's your MVP. Um, but, you know, the Tom Cable's offense worked back when the rules allowed it to work. I think um, he really put the team at a disadvantage over the last three years by trying to convert guys, uh, by running an offense that is predicated on a lot of cut blocking in a time when the NFL doesn't really allow that anymore. So I, I think that was really Russ kind of being a superhero in, in situations that very few other quarterbacks could handle or even survive. So I think this year when they brought in Mike Solari, who's more of a man blocking running game, Brian Schottenheimer, who, you know, is a little bit of a milk toast offensive coordinator, huh. higher, uh, but is someone that all the quarterbacks he's worked with have had, you know, great things to say. And, and if you look at their production in the year, Chad Schottenheimer, uh, they've been up compared to their career averages. I think the goal is to try and get something of a more traditional running game uh, back in place to try and save Russ. It's, we, we only really have the preseason to work off of in, in one game, but what are your impressions of Schottenheimer? Um, you kind of just alluded to it there. What's he, what's he going to have to do to um, get this offense to be more stable? You know, it's it's so tough. The offensive coordinator is always the lead uh, guy. In yeah, yeah. Everyone who's ever picked up a bad controller thinks they can call a better Who's that, Brandon Marshall? Yes, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think he's sort of their de facto second outside receiver. I mean, really, beyond the top two receivers, which in Seattle's case are Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett, most teams are doing a rotation. And Brandon Marshall, I think, uh, before Baldwin left, was being seen more in third down and red zone situations, which mm-hmm. is where he's still extremely gifted. Uh, and he had a great game in that. In fact, he was the only Seahawk to convert third downs in that game and, you know, basically caught two uh, touchdowns. One of them was called back on a kind of ticky-tack offensive PI, uh, one that he admitted was probably technically pass interference. But anyway, um, he's definitely a starter now with Baldwin out. And 
And I think after his performance, he probably supplanted Jerron Brown as the second outside guy anyway. I think Jerron Brown only had one target um, in the game. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Brandon Marshall, a guy you guys are obviously familiar with, is still got something. And, and he's a big target on a team that's kind of devoid of them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, how he plays throughout the year. And, and I think he can be a legit wide receiver two, wide receiver three. But it's doubtful that he'll be spectacular. Was signing him more of just something trying to salvage something, trying to salvage something out of the offense, get it potentially, like you just kind of noted, um, a red zone weapon? I mean, he's 34 years old. I'm like, like, we just, like we've just been saying, I'm not, we're not sure how much he really has left in the tank. It's more his physical tools coming in, coming into, uh, coming into play in that red area. I almost Yeah, yeah totally. Um, you know, he was definitely a late flyer. They gave him the minimum guaranteed money. Uh, I don't know that they expected him to make it out of camp. I think it was similar to them bringing Terrell Owens in a few years back. Um, and and they've, they've brought in some older receivers in past camps to see if they have anything left. And, and Marshall just was went in there and kind of dominated training camp. Um, I was fortunate enough to attend one of them, followed training camps pretty closely, and no one could really guard him. And you know, Russell Wilson – for as good as he's been in his career, and I, and I truly believe he's a top-four quarterback in the NFL, he's been kind of just okay in the red zone. And and when you're a quarterback, it's difficult to throw in the red zone. Ru- Russell Wilson throws such a nice deep ball, and it's reflected in his, in his deep ball efficiency. But when you're short, throwing it short is difficult, especially against a packed-in defense, um, because that ball doesn't have time to turn over and, and come back down like it kind of does with a, a taller quarterback. And so uh, last year with Jimmy Graham, all of a sudden he was amazing in the red zone because he finally had a receiver that gave him a margin for error. He didn't have to make a pinpoint pass to a Tyler Lockett or a Jermaine Kurtz or a Doug Baldwin who are six and under. You know, he had a big guy. And I think when they decided to let Jimmy Graham go to Green Bay, they really felt the need that, okay, when we get down in there, we got to give Russ someone to pass to. And Marshall – you know, if, if Marshall is even 80% of what he was when he was with you guys, he was probably the best option out there. And and it looks like he's going to be about 80% of what he was with you guys, which is awesome. Jackson, what is – what's the issue – what is the issue with the offensive line? Because – not, 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 not in, in – that they they play awfully, or, not, or that this has been a, a consi- but this has been a consistent running issue for a few, for several years now, and it's not as if the Seahawks haven't invested capital, draft capital, and free agency. And what is is it the coaching? Is it is it I mean, is it the system you mentioned earlier? Why can't the Seahawks get around? I'm sure this is a frustrating question that that you guys are tired of dealing with. No, but I mean it's a it's a very fair question it's something that is you know relevant it's been relevant yeah for a long time it's you know i mean they haven't been able to block anyone in about four years and you're asking me i think it's i think it was coaching um i think tom cable was asking guys to do things they had no chance of doing i mean the the 
thing to keep in mind when talking about offensive line plays, there's only maybe six, seven, eight teams that have good offensive line play. The, yeah. The gap in athleticism between offensive linemen and defensive linemen has widened so much in the past seven, eight, ten years. You know, there's there's no very few Aaron Donalds and J.J. Watson, Khalil Max and Vaughn Millers that are playing offensive line, right? I mean, if you're 280 plus and a freak athlete, are you going to play offensive line or are you going to play defensive line, right? Where's the money? Where's where's the uh, longer career at? Where's the glory at? You know, so um, I, I, I think that's really at the heart of it is you've got a huge athleticism gap between offensive line and defensive line. Plus, defenders are just allowed to do more with their hands than offense, offensive linemen are. I mean, it's just the, the deck is stacked against the goal. So that has to be kept in mind. But I think the biggest issue was Tom Cable asking guys to block in space in a league that no longer allows cut blocking um, in the way that they used to. And so, uh, you know, basically you're asking a converted basketball player or a former tight end or a former defensive lineman to try and block an otherworldly athlete, a Daniil Hunter or somebody in a space the size of a boxing ring. I mean, there's just no, no shot of success there. And I think with Solari, their new offensive line coach came over from New York and before that San Francisco back when they were beating everybody up in the run earlier this decade, uh, he, he asks his guys to engage the defender a lot earlier, takes them out of space, and I think at least gives them a chance. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that happens. But I think that Tom Cable is just using an outdated system that uh, didn't give his guys a chance to be successful. And we're hoping that changes now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, aside from Khalil Mack, obviously, um, at this point, we said it at the start of the show, Probably going to get his. He's more than likely going to get his. What is one matchup that concerns you if you're the Seahawks on the Bears on the Bears defense? There's one individual matchup or one like coaching point or whatever. No, honestly, I mean, I think I think on plays that uh, I mean, y'all got y'all got a good defense. Make, make no mistake. I think I think people aren't aware of how good your defense was last year because your offense was so bad. And, you know, it's just, it's just tough when the defense is behind the eight ball all the time. So, you know, in, in this situation, I think you guys, good secondary, good linebackers. I think Roquan's going to be great. Um, But there's not, I mean, if gun to my head, I would say the fact that Seattle doesn't have its best receiver um, is going to be really, really tough. You know, that combination of if, if Cleo Max getting pressure, I don't know that they have anybody who's really good at getting open in a three-step drop back. Like Baldwin was so good to that, you know, and, and they've got a lot of kind of possession receivers um, and some guys who are deep threats. But if Russ has to get the ball out early, you know, I, I think your corners are more than capable of jumping a few routes. So, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd say I'm concerned with that for sure. Concerned with everything, essentially. Yeah, but I also, I mean, again, I believe, I believe we're talking about, you know, uh, one of the four best quarterbacks in the world, and that's the most valuable asset that you can have. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, that neutralizes a lot. In the end, Jackson, um, how do you see this game playing out? 
So you just set it, Russell Wilson, the equalizer. That's what still gives me pause because I'm not very confident in the Bears' offense. This is kind of the game where, to me, Mac and company are going to have to. Well, they're gonna they're gonna have to get get at Wilson and and, and really not let him even have that one opening that he so often seems to find. What do you see happening here? And then give me a final score slash prediction. What have what have you? Yeah, well, you know, I I think it's gonna be a pretty uncomfortable game. Um, for both for both teams, uh, I mean this in the most respectful way possible. I think the Bears' offense is garbage. It is. It is. That's. It is. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a Trubisky guy. Um, uh, I would love to see what Nagy can do with him. Uh, I think you definitely are putting the right offensive mind in place there, but I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna take some time. Um, you know, I, I do like your running backs. And I do like Allen Robinson. He's back. But I just don't think you guys are going to score a lot of points. That's going to keep Seattle in it because I think Seattle's going to be working really hard to get to 20 points. My, my guess is, you know, I'm probably leaning towards the Bears winning this one and probably something like a 23 to 21, 15, something like that where, you know, it, it may be one of the least watchable Monday night games of the year. I yeah. hope I'm wrong. I would love to see both offenses execute well. I'd love to see great plays by defense. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, we're Earl Thomas is back now, and, and Earl Thomas showed that he's still the best safety in the game. Uh, with zero practices, he went out there and, and absolutely lit it up. I think the combination of him and Bobby Wagner is one of the – I think that's going to be real difficult too. So um, I imagine we'll probably see at least four turnovers in this one. And uh, it'll probably come down to whoever scores last. Okay, fair enough. I, I, was, I think we can all hope for better football, but that is, I agree. It doesn't, it doesn't really look too promising on paper. It would be pretty painful. Jackson, thanks for having on. Thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate yeah, it. I appreciate it, man. And uh, good luck to your boys every week except this one. <laughs> same. I'll I, I pass along the same sentence. All <laughs> right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. You can follow Jackson on Twitter at Jackson Bevins. That's at J-A-C-S-O-N Bevins, B-E-V-E-N-S. And read all of his work at, at SB Nation's Field Old Seahawks website. And follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Zaglinski. As always, stay classy, everybody. To let tears run down from my eyes, Lord, somebody, ooh, somebody, can anybody find me somebody to love? Alexa, play hits from Queen. Okay. Somebody to love. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend.
I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs> <laughs>